Hi, and welcome to She Is Wise, a podcast dedicated to braver, bolder, bigger conversations for women who want to change the world. I'm Ellie Bell, an empowerment coach passionate about supporting women to show up in the world as their best version of themselves. I'm a former corporate executive with a background working in professional sport and a qualified life coach working with women for the past four years. I've got two gorgeous little girls, which are the reason I'm so determined to change the way women are in the world. I have an incredible husband who encourages, supports and shapes my work in ways that prove that men have to be part of the solution. And I'm Erin Hodson, a psychic medium and spiritual healer who believes that for the world to be a place I'm grateful and proud to leave for my two young sons, change is necessary and that change must be led by women. My work is deeply rooted in ancestors and understanding who we come from and who we can become. I love exploring the spirituality of who we are and the intersection of that with our human experiences. We're two women who grew up on opposite sides of the world, but when we met, instantly recognized each other as kindred spirits, ready to make meaningful change in ourselves, each other, and the world around us. Now is the time for women to be brave, vulnerable, and bold, to explore what is really true for us and how we can make meaningful change in the world. Join us as we dive passionately into conversation about things that really matter, share lighthearted banter with each other, and dare to challenge what we've been told we can do, have, and be as women. Hello and welcome to another episode of She Is Wise. And today we are so excited to have a wonderful guest who is on a boat somewhere in the world, Tanya Hackney. And I'm going to hand straight over to her to actually introduce herself and tell us well, a little bit about how she ended up on a boat. Well, hello, Ellie and Erin. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I am uh, sitting here on my 48-foot catamaran. Uh, the name of the boat is Take Two, and we are in Florida currently. Uh, we have raised five children aboard this boat. Our oldest is now 20 and our youngest is 10. And we bought the boat in 2008. So we have been at this for a while. So I guess I would describe myself as a travel addict and a homeschool mom and a ukulele player and a writer. Those are some of the, the hats that I wear. Oh my goodness. I just absolutely love that. And thank you so much for taking some time whilst you're, you know, I think you're you're currently moored up at the moment, aren't you? Did I is yes, that the term I am. you use? <laughs> yeah, well, yes, we, I would say that we are we're tied to a dock. And we are docked because we are undergoing some pretty major repairs. We uh, we have a wooden boat, and so it rots. There are pros and cons to every boat building material. Wood and fresh water don't mix. They create this um, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful mushroom, essentially, that eats away at wood. And so we found some rot in a, in a freshwater tank. And so we're refurbishing our tanks and replacing bulkheads with, you know, ex very expensive African mahogany. And <laughs> so, but it, sounds, it sounds actually, delightful. it's easy. It's, yeah, it's it's easier to be tied to a dock in a sense because your your kids can get on and off the boat. Our teenagers are very happy right now because it's easy for them to hop on and off the boat. I am the one that feels, you know, tied up. I miss the freedom of being anchored or on a mooring or, you know, sailing somewhere. So there are pros and cons to the dock. What I'd love to ask, first of all, because I think anyone listening to this will want to know is like, what made you decide to live on a boat and bring up five children on a boat as well. <laughs> you know, like that is, it sounds incredible, yeah, well, but also, wow. <laughs> yeah. 
I forget how strange it is. It's just my normal life. And so it doesn't seem that extraordinary to me. But when I talk to people, especially people who don't know the boating world, they just, I guess, British English word for it is gobsmacked. <laughs> They're kind of gobsmacked by that. So I forget that it's not a normal thing. My husband and I grew up in Southwest Florida. We were high school sweethearts. Uh, he grew up sailing. I did not. Um, but it was part of his childhood. And so we used to go on dates and walking dates are super cheap. So we would go have ice cream uh, down by the city docks and we would walk the docks and talk about boats and think about what it would be like to sail away. And when you're 16, 17 years old, that's just a pipe dream. It's it's fun to talk about. You can you know imagine anything because at that point in your life, nothing is impossible. Uh, we never, of course, imagined doing that <laughs> with five children. Nobody imagines doing that with five children. <laughs> I don't want to say it just happened. We know exactly how it happened. We have this wonderful, uh, in a way, unpredictable life. It's not the life that we planned. It's a much better life than we planned. We did the normal yuppie thing for a long time, but the dream that we had had as teenagers really never went away. And it was something that we fostered and grew. We read sailing magazines. My husband would race sailboats on Wednesday nights. We lived in, in Atlanta, you know, in a suburb of a big city. And yet part of our hearts, you know, were always... You know, in the ocean, we never forgot about this dream that we had. And we would joke about it, but there came a time where we were deeply unsatisfied. We had a wonderful life. We had the American dream. We had what everybody always wants. We were a bit bored and we were struggling to figure out why everyone wanted this life because it was not very satisfying. And so when we started asking ourselves what we really wanted, what we really wanted was to ditch it to ditch this amazing, wonderful life that we had and go back to the idea of, of living on a boat. So I, you know, I just summed up 15 years of our life in, in 30 seconds, but essentially we, we did a U-turn and we left Atlanta and we went back to Florida and we bought a small boat and we practiced and uh, eventually we bought a big boat and we moved aboard with four children under the age of eight. And then we later got pregnant and had a fifth baby while we lived aboard. That just blows my mind. But I love the fact that it was a dream that you had as teenagers. I mean, how many of us can look back at our teenage years and be like the dreams that we had and actually have seen them, you know, become a reality? I mean, a lot of us don't have like amazing, cool dreams like that. I can't even really think about what mine were. Um, but I love that. I love that you did it. Erin, um, what comes up for you? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, I guess the the first thing is, wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody had that sense of faith and freedom to be able to go back to what they first kind of imagined their life with their partner would be and embrace it the way that you did? You know, I, I think that would be a wonderful way for the world to be and um, more people need to engage that faith and that freedom. It's funny because we're obviously heading into the summer holidays uh, here in New Zealand and... Uh, my family are looking at going away in our um, caravan, our trailer. And <laughs> my wife is like, I don't know if I'm going to survive being away with our children for that long in a confined space. And here you are saying, I feel like I'm stuck at the dock. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to go. I want to go. I want to be out, out in the middle of the ocean with only my family. Um, I think that's incredibly brave. And I guess for me, what came up around that was the the difference in the understanding of freedom between you and your children, because your children probably sense that being able to get off the boat is freeing. 
Um, whereas you're like, I just actually want to be only on the boat and not have that option. And that's freeing for me. And I think the challenge for all of us is to be able to understand what freedom feels like for us and then create a life around that. And so I, I really love that you, obviously you and your your husband started with that idea of freedom is being able to just sail away, but being able to understand that actually freedom doesn't necessarily look that way for your children. And so currently they're, you know, they're having their sense of freedom expand and you're having yours contract a little bit and then that will change. I think that's a really beautiful way to engage with them and to engage with the world. Yeah. And when we first made these decisions about this life that we wanted, I mean, the kids were very small and they, you know, they had this idea of going sailing that they were going to be like a bunch of little pirates. And it was really, really fun and going to the Bahamas and going snorkeling and free diving and fishing and going to the beach every afternoon. All of that was a really fun adventure for the for the kids. Um, But really, it was my husband and it was my dream and his dream and we dragged them along with us. By the time your kids are teenagers, you know, and they're beginning to have ideas of their own and dreams of their own, you know, they're now the age that we were when we were thinking about what we really wanted to do with our lives. And we need to, I guess, put our own desires on the backseat. Like I got what I wanted. I've done everything that I've ever wanted to do. You know, I'm coming up with new bucket list items because I've crossed all mine off, but they're at the beginning of their adventure. And so we realized, I think, somewhere around Guatemala uh, in 2018, that some of our kids were really feeling a bit stuck in our life, where I was just beginning to feel like we had, you know, fully blossomed and done the things that we always wanted to do. Just at that sort of pinnacle, there was a trade-off. You know, we, okay, we've now made these amazing memories, traveled with our family throughout the whole Caribbean, and done some really wonderful things. But now there's this sense that although I would like to keep going, they needed to come back. They needed to come back to something where they had sort of roots, old friends, family, a stable platform. They wanted to learn how to drive a car and they wanted to reconnect with old friends. And both of my oldest boys fell in love for the first time and they needed to do some of those normal things. And so we, we put our own desires, you know, in the backseat, I guess, and let their desires drive for a little while. And like you said, it's temporary, Erin, because we're not always going to be parents and homeschool teachers. At some point, they are going to launch and they're going to go start their own life. And then my husband and I can figure out what other travels we want to do. And there is a, a balance that you have to seek. I guess we could have, you know, kidnapped them and kept them. <laughs> they would be miserable. It wouldn't be fair. So at each stage have had to ask, you know, not just what do we want, but what does everybody else want? And we now ask their opinion about things. It's not, it's a whole family discussion. It's not what do mom and dad want to do? And you guys just have to come along for the ride. It may have started that way, but it's not that way anymore. So what I really want to know though, is in terms of that decision-making process, like the sense that I get from you is that this rising of, I don't want to say discontent, but just maybe a little bit of unease around what's happening for you and you'd like, I need to change, something needs to shift. Um, And it doesn't necessarily have to be a big shift, but it's, it's there, that sense of this can't be everything. Like, how did you go about honoring that, knowing that it wasn't just your decision? Because I think a lot of the time, as women, especially, we kind of shut that down because we're like, but it's going to affect everyone I love. So I can't have that. It's really hard. It's really hard to balance your own personal desires 
with your desire to care for the people that you love. That's hard to juggle no matter who you are or what your walk of life is as a young married person. So when you stop being independent or if you're attached to another human being or you've made a lifelong commitment, my husband and I've been together for 30 years now, married for almost 25, our desires became sort of shared, a shared desire, but there's always that tug and pull, even in just a marriage of, you know, what do I need and what does he need and what do we need as a couple and how to respect that and to not put your dreams in the back seat. And then once you add, you know, every time you add a child into that, you have this chemistry experiment. It's the chemistry changes every time you have a baby and every time you bring someone in or out of the family, we are praying people. So I would not say that we're religious. I kind of that word rubs me the wrong way because we don't go to church. I don't like institutionalized anything. Our kids don't go to school. We don't go to church. We don't have jobs where you have to wear shoes and sit in traffic. We've lived outside of sort of constraints as much as possible. However, we are very aware of a divine benevolent person and purpose in our lives. And so I think that that is what we're tapping into when we're making these decisions because we don't always know what's best for ourselves. I don't have a magic crystal ball that's going to tell me what's coming up. Even if it's something as simple as should we leave next week to cross the Gulf Stream to go to the Bahamas? So, you know, we'll make all these plans. We'll buy groceries and do all the laundry and get the boat ready. And then we wake up the morning that we're supposed to leave and the weather has shifted. So there you are sitting on the dock or sitting on on anchor waiting to leave. And, you know, you look at the weather and you say, the weather's turned to crap. We're not going anywhere today. And so it's on the one hand, incredibly frustrating. But on the other hand, we have learned to trust, I guess, the nudges, both when the door opens and when the door closes to say, well, maybe we don't know what's best for ourselves. I think a lot of times in life, When we want something especially, we might push and push and push to get what we want. But if you find that you're pushing really hard and and the doors aren't opening, it might be a sign that it's not the right time. So it's not necessarily that your desires are wrong, but maybe that the timing is wrong. So I have learned to really trust that sense. I don't know what else to say other than I feel that God specifically speaks to me and says go or stay and that I'm okay with it. And that has taken like a whole, it's a whole lifetime of a spiritual walk of learning to listen, not to what the church says, not to what my parents taught me, you know, not to some external interpretation, but to that, that voice that speaks very clearly to me. And sometimes it's, you know, indistinguishable from my own voice. And I'm like, is this just me pushing because I want something or is this what's really best for me? And, you know, sometimes my own voice is incredibly repetitive and anxious. (laughs) So usually if I'm hearing like a voice that says go and it's not, you know, I usually recognize that it's not my own voice. So we hash this out as a family. We pray about it and, and we listen to each other when we say, when someone says, I think we should go, or I don't think we should go, or I think we should do this, or I don't think we should do this. Everybody gets a voice. It doesn't mean that everybody gets a vote, but definitely everybody has a voice. I think you answered it beautifully. And I think that learning to trust that what you said that really stood out is that the doors open, but sometimes they close and that's okay. Because a lot of the time we're so, we've been taught that our intuition will always guide us to go in the right direction, but actually sometimes it's going to guide us to stay where we need to be as well. And I think being able to be open to that and know that 
even if you want to be striving forward and you know that you want to be moving, sometimes actually you do have to just, you have to dock, you have to put your anchor down and you have to just ride it out where you are. I think is really important and being able to hear the difference between the voices as well is something that certainly I've had to really work on. I have a very anxious ego who will just like try and take me down with whatever it can. So being able to identify what that voice sounds like and looks like for me is really helpful because I can be like, oh no, 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 you're actually not this isn't information that I need to, you know, be guided along. It's just, you know, you're just putting it out there because you don't quite know where we're at. So what does that mean? So I can actually, I've learned to listen to it and understand that it's coming from a place that's helpful, but not in terms of following it. It's just actually what's it hinting at at the moment. But one of the questions that I would love to know a little bit more about, like husband, wife, five children, small boat, how do you keep your relationship going? How do you manage the children? Because I mean, I have two children and they need to be at opposite ends of the house quite regularly at the moment because they will just wind each other up how do you manage all of that and like keep yourself just like you have the most people can't see that have this most serene wonderful energy about you how do you do it share that magic because I need some <laughs> oh the magic yes well I would love to tell you that it's peaceful and serene in my house at all times and that we run a tight ship and that um, everything is always hunky-dory, but it would be a lie, my dear. I'm so sorry to say I'm absolutely and completely normal and probably partly insane, and I've just given up on sanity entirely. I would say that we prioritize our relationships very, very highly. And so the core, rela okay, the first relationship that you have, obviously, is with yourself and a well, a sense of well-being that you have in yourself. And that is really the thing that you have the most control over is your responses to your environment and to the stimuli and to the relationships around you. And so I have an obligation to be a good person, good with myself and within myself and to have peace before I can expect to have peace in my relationships with my family or to exert influence over my amazingly disparate band of children that they also often have to be at opposite ends of the boat and definitely say, know how to catamaran you'd have four corners right so you can kind of yeah uh, yes but seven people so you know you're still struggling to find your own your own space there but they can push each other's buttons for sure so one of the things that I do is I have a morning routine and I've really, really tightened that up over the last couple of years because the, I think the pandemic has pushed all of us in one direction or another. And if you have not sort of reeled in your emotions and if you have not grounded yourself spiritually, you're going to be struggling. Even if you have grounded yourself, you might be struggling. And so I actually got a hold of Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning. And that really transformed my morning because it, it made me more disciplined about my self-development. So I get up in the morning before anybody's up. I make myself a cup of coffee. I go out on my back deck or on the arch. Our solar arch has a, a diving board that's up above the water, but it's like a nice, perfectly flat space that's conveniently a yoga mat size. <laughs> so I roll out my yoga mat. I read my Bible, which is the sacred book that speaks to me the most and I read a morning devotion of some sort and I write in my journal and I pray and then I breathe. I literally just sit there and practice breathing and then I do probably 10 or 15 minutes of some kind of yoga warm-up. So I'm doing something for my mind and my body and my spirit before I have to function as a wife, a mother, a writer and all the other hats that I have to wear. And so I need to be okay with myself first. Then like the second relationship and I say with myself, with myself and with God too. I mean, that also is a, a thing that's 
I'm communing with, you know, the eternal. How can that not infuse me with peace every single day and, and love? And, you know, I can't go pouring something out that I have not, if I'm an empty vessel, I have to be filled before I can overflow into my children's lives and into my husband's life. And so I go to get filled in the morning so that I have something to give back. And then the relationship with my husband is, is secondary because without our marriage, without our partnership working, I cannot imagine how we would wrangle five children. I just don't even, or manage a boat or handle a storm at sea. Like if you don't have peace in that relationship, like bluntly, you'd be screwed. <laughs> like I, you couldn't do it. The a boat will either make or break your marriage. That's all I can say. And it's like, if anyone's ever lived through a kitchen renovation or something like that, they'll know what I'm talking about. The boat is always under construction. There are always projects going on. Very rarely is everything completely smooth sailing. So you have to be really flexible, you know, just in that small space with this person that you love, but that you might be very, very different from. We prioritize date nights. So once a week, we get away without our children, even when they were small and we couldn't literally leave because, you know, you can't leave five small children on a boat and dingy away, even though you want to, we would put a movie on inside the boat and we would go sit in the cockpit and light a candle and have date night in the cockpit. Or we would go sit in the dinghy and have a snack in the dinghy. And the kids, you know, could come out and wave at us, but we're like, we're on a date. You can't talk to us right now. And we've prioritized this relationship because it is absolutely critical to, to surviving uh, in a, in a small space. And then I guess the third priority, you know, beyond being right with myself and being right with my husband is then managing the children and the sibling relationships. And, and that's absolutely the hardest thing for sure. On a day-to-day homeschooling your children, anyone who's ever helped their children with homework, anyone whose kids were sent home during the pandemic knows exactly what I'm talking about it's hard. It's hard to teach your children. It's hard to be with your children 24 seven. And you do all need breaks from each other. And you do need to go off in your kayak. And you do need to go one-on-one with a kid to the grocery store or to the laundromat or wherever you need to have an individual relationship with each of them. They're not a litter of children. And so it's like one of those circus acts where you're spinning the plates and you try not to drop any. (laughs) I hope that answers the question as well. Like, how do we do it? Very carefully. We do it very, very carefully. And sometimes we very mindfully by the sounds of things. Like you're really always very mindful of the interplay between yourself and each member of your, effectively your community, right? I mean, they're not just your family, they're your entire community at times for long periods of time. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we also have these other wonderful sailors that we're we're with it's not it's a myth that we're isolated i mean for periods of time while we're sailing from one place to another we might be isolated if you go to a an island where no one else is anchored you might feel super lucky to have the place to yourself but usually there's a, you know another community of travelers that you're with and you know and then that's sort of like the extended relationships not just yourself and your husband and your children but then you're bringing other people into your orbit it's really great it's wonderful and we're not really as isolated as you might think. I just love, yeah, I love the fact that you prioritize yourself first. I think that's something as women and mums, we're really 
really bad at and actually you've inspired me to to tighten mine up because at the moment my children don't sleep particularly well so mornings are just normally either like oh god it's time to you know try and get this world moving but actually you're right if you're not full if that vessel isn't full at the start of the day it's not surprising we feel fraught and overwhelmed by the time we're doing bath time or tea time with, you know, the horde, because actually we didn't start our, our, ourselves off with the best possible chance of success. So I love the fact that you do that. And I think the other thing that really stands out to me is that making time for your partner. How often, you know, marriages and relationships break down when children come along because the dynamic completely changes and it is really, really difficult. It's really difficult. Um, and Matt and I, you know, spend a lot of time at the moment talking about how, you know, it is, it's a season that we're going through. It is a phase, but we've had to be incredibly mindful about making that time to, you know, connect and to and to be intimate and to, to share moments where we're not just talking about the children or thinking about who's picking, you know, who's going to pick the kids up, who's cooking dinner, who needs to go to this who's going to walk the dog you know there's so many things that you could just spend your whole life talking about that you then forget why you came together and what the big dreams are and actually what do we want to be creating in this world and and why do we even like each other <laughs> you know if you get caught up in the day yeah it's today, easy to forget it it's really so easy is. to forget so I love the fact that you are really mindful about that and I think that's something that certainly we've been a lot better at doing and our relationship is better for doing it because you know we do have we have needs we have um whether they're sexual needs whether they're intimacy you know whatever it is we all have to, they have to be filled and when you have children like sort of trying to get in your skin sometimes it's really hard to want anybody close to you because it's just yeah like, oh, i just understand you're like they all want a piece of you you know they all want a piece of you and sometimes you just want a little peace all by yourself so I do go off in my kayak from time to time and I'm um, sometimes and I blow up I have a terrible temper so I do bite people's heads off but I'm also like incredibly quick to to apologize I hope that my children appreciate that I hope that that's something I've modeled is that I was unjustified in my emotional response. I'm sorry that I acted like a toddler. Here I am telling you, you know, that just because somebody irritates you doesn't mean you have to yell at them. And then I yelled at you. So I recognize my own hypocrisy. Um, all we can do is model this humility for our children. Um, I think that that is what maturity is. It is recognizing essentially that you're not you know, that you're behaving like a toddler and attempting not to, to behave like a toddler. <laughs> but I don't know about you and I, and I love that you say that because that's something that I do if I, because, you know, I have toddlers and I do behave like them as well sometimes, but I actually will always apologize for it. And I'll always feel like, actually, mommy didn't handle that terribly well, but I don't think my mum ever said that to me growing up. And I think that's a real difference with our generation to past generations is that we're willing to kind of own our shit a little bit it's like actually yeah you're right how can we be telling you not to do x y and z when we're doing exactly the the opposite and i think allowing them to see us modeling that you know sometimes emotions do get big and massive and they need to come out and they don't always come out in the best way but being able to teach them at the same time how you deal with those and how it's okay to feel them but you do have to apologize sometimes if you get it wrong and and that's something that i've been really key about because I just don't think our parents did that certainly mine never did they would never admit that they handled something badly 
Yeah, no, I think I got a blanket apology and was actually very grateful for it from my dad when I was like 20. He said I wasn't the dad that you probably needed. And I needed to hear him say that because I had gone through the forgiveness process. I had forgiven him already. But the fact that he acknowledged it made a huge difference. It made it so much easier for reconciliation to happen because just because there's forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that there's reconciliation. Reconciliation is like this whole extra step after you have you know, decided not to hold something against someone. With the kids, I struggle a little bit because I definitely feel that I've been on the planet a little bit longer than them. I have some wisdom that they don't have. I have some life experience and some perspective that they don't have. So I don't have a problem stepping into my own authority as their parent. I I do know often what is best for them. And when I don't know, I don't pretend to know, but I do know what's best for them. And so sometimes you know, especially teenagers are quick to call hypocrisy, but you can say, look, I'm calling a spade a spade. It is wrong. It is wrong. It's wrong when I do it. And it's wrong when you do it. And you can't throw back at me like, oh, well, you did it. So it's okay for me to do it. I'm saying blanket. It's just not okay. It's not okay when you do it. It's not okay when I do it. I happen to be an authority over you. And I can say, you may not do it. And, you know, It's a fragile line because you want to apologize to your children when you have wronged them, when you are from one human being to another human being. At the same time, you don't necessarily want to give away your, what I would call God-given authority, you know, to govern them because until they can govern themselves, they do need a benevolent dictator. They want to know where the limits are. They want to know that they are safe. And the way that they feel safe is when the rules kind of stay the same and don't change. That consistency is the biggest challenge to parenting, both, you know, as a mother and as a couple, the two of you together trying to set consistent boundaries and apply them in a way that's fair. It's really challenging, but children who have that sort of consistency, and and when I say authority, I don't mean like browbeating. I mean, reasonable rules lovingly applied then they feel loved and cared for. And there is an atmosphere of mutual respect. Yeah, I read a great book and it talks about that, the tone to use with your children. It's kind of like the captain speaking. You know, when the captain of an aircraft or a boat says something, you don't argue it. You're like, no, they know what's right. So it's definitely, that's kind of what I try and channel when I'm I'm doing. Because I think you're right, they have to have boundaries. And that is one thing that I will be eternally grateful to my parents is that they were very good at setting boundaries. And it gave me something to push against. And boy, did I push as a teenager. You know, I was by no means, you know, a quiet, well-behaved, well-mannered teenager. I certainly tried to push as much as I could, but I always knew that they held firm and that's something that I think when you're growing up you like fight against and you hate but as an adult looking back you know that it made you feel safe and and sometimes it's easier to let the boundary go because actually do you want that fight right now but actually it's remembering that it's so it's so worth it and it is difficult and you know I always my words with with Emily my nearly five-year-old who is you know a mini me so I'm I'm enjoying that that process of really getting to know myself as a younger version um it's like I know you don't <laughs> agree with what I'm saying but I'm your mummy and everything I do is for your best interest so you may not like it you may not agree with it but this is what's happening but you know I will you know if I shout and say things I love what you said about it like if it's it's not okay behavior for anybody you know that that's not all right for me or for you so yeah no I think you've got some certainly when you're in a confined space one thing I do love the idea of is being out at sea and being able to shout and no one can hear you (laughs) 
Sometimes I what do you don't Okay, what you don't want to be, what you don't want to be is that couple in the anchorage having a knockdown drag out in the middle of the night because sound carries over water. Let me tell you this, the things we have heard or, you know, the couple that comes into the anchorage and they're anchoring and the husband is yelling at the wife and she thinks he's angry. And so she's upset, but really he's just shouting so that she can hear him. And then they're criticizing each other and having this ugly fight. We've heard it so often. I think, you know, it's obligatory that you have at least one of those. So guilty, <laughs> guilty. We've had that <laughs> argument once. And my husband was like, you know, this is embarrassing. So I'm going to go in and have a beer. And when you're done shouting, you come on in and all, we can have a drink together. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, unfortunately, sound travels across water. Out at sea, no, there's very little shouting. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I guess that would be the one safe place where you could really have an emotional breakdown and no one would know. <laughs> but actually they would, so it's no good. Well, that's almost made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, nothing like the elements and nothing like a stressful situation to really show you who you are. I mean, the ocean will certainly reveal to you who you are. The good, the bad, the ugly. I'm an incredibly stronger person than I thought that I was. I'm braver than I thought that I was. And I am also absolutely a toddler. Like, it's, it's horrifying. I'm so embarrassed. You know, like, I wrote this memoir and I wrote it in this raw and emotional and you know, very vulnerable way. Like I basically wrote a book about how I'm a toddler. <laughs> now, like the whole challenge of my life was to not stay a toddler, I guess. And I'm a very different person than I would have been if I had stayed in a house. Like living on this boat has really irrevocably changed me. It's changed our whole family. I could listen to you all day. Erin, have you got any last questions or thoughts? Um yeah, I really love and what's come up for me over and over and over again listening to you is that the two most important takeaways for me from this conversation are how deeply connected to self and source we need to be and that sense that um, faith and freedom are so intimately connected to each other and that through faith and whatever we believe in, um, if that faith is unerring and we're able to lean into that in every moment, there is a sense of freedom that comes from that, that you can't get any other way. And also that sense that, you know, freedom brings faith. The more free we feel, the more we believe that that's our right and that we can live that way and be that way. And so I just, I love that both of those things have come forward in a big way for me. And certainly I've seen Ellie shift energetically in the way that she wants to be and I think anybody who wants to be inspired to be a different way in their life should absolutely check out the book about how to be a toddler and thrive because uh, <laughs> whatever you say in there has to be somewhat magical I think because uh, I've certainly taken away big life-changing thoughts that I will sit with for some days yet so thank you very much for your time and for sharing that. Erin, I have a story. I love the way that you talk about the connection between freedom and faith. And I would say there's like, an, I love alliteration, right? So fear and either listening or not listening to fear or putting fear in its proper place ties in with that as well. Because in order to fight fear, you have to have faith. And maybe the reason you know, that you fight that is so that you can have freedom. I ha there's a story that I tell in the book, but 
that I, I feel like illustrates what you just said perfectly. We were in a storm at sea. It was a very nasty, nasty night. Um, we had been on a long passage between the Bahamas and Puerto Rico. The longest passage we ever took, actually, it was an eight-day passage, and we had motored east in a calm, and then we were planning on riding a cold front to get, you know, the north wind would blow us south. Um, and when you say ride a cold front, it's like riding a roller coaster. It's not like, you know, a gentle nudge. It was not comfortable. We made a choice about the weather. It was just not comfortable. And things that are sort of fine during the day become very frightening at night because you can't see the wind, you can't see the wave direction. Uh, you can't necessarily see the squalls that are coming and going. You can see lots of lightning and you can see the clouds building up and you can feel the cold wind and spray. It's terrifying. And I had a toddler moment. I was like curled up in a little ball crying. I'm so embarrassed to say it, but my husband came out. I usually take the first watch uh, from like 8 p.m. till two in the morning. And he came out to check on things because the boat was just slapping and banging. There were waves coming at us from every direction. And he found me sort of curled up in a little corner. I'm, you know, watching the chart plotter and looking at the horizon and crying. And he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I want off. I want off. Get me off of this boat. And he's like, there's no way off except for swimming. I'm like, I know. <laughs> you know, it was like the worst roller coaster ride ever because you can't get off. And he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll take watch early and you go curl up somewhere and try and sleep. And I said, okay, thank you. And I grabbed a blanket and I curled up in a little ball kind of in the corner of the, the cockpit. But the boat was moving such that you couldn't, I couldn't really get comfortable. And just feeling this like psychic distress, like, it, it's not necessarily a rational fear, but you're like wondering if you're going to survive this. Is the boat going to break apart and you're going to be lost in this stormy sea at night? It's like what you imagine when people say storm at sea, like that really primal fear of deep water and darkness and wind and waves. And I was like clenching my whole body and my eyes were squeezed shut and I was just trying to get some rest, but it was, you know, you can't rest when you're in that state. And I heard a voice, it's not an unfamiliar voice, but it was unusual because it really got my attention. And the voice said, look up. And I was like, look up, what does that even mean? And I opened my eyes and I turn and I look up at the sky. And just at that moment, there was clouds, every big black billowing clouds everywhere, but there was a tiny window, a tiny window viewable in the sky where you could see stars through this giant black storm. There was just this tiny little window of stars. And all of a sudden I felt completely like supernaturally peaceful. And what I realized was that somewhere outside of these, you know, very temporary circumstances that I was in the middle of, everything was going on just as it always has for millennia. The universe was still, you know, the world was still spinning. The moon was rising or setting somewhere. The sun was rising or setting on the other side of the planet. The whole universe, like clockwork, was still going on. And I was able to kind of get outside of this little ball of stress and circumstance that I was in and kind of view it with a, a bigger perspective, I felt completely calm and peaceful, despite the fact that the circumstances did not change at all. And I was able to sleep. And then of course, when the sun rose, everything, you know, that looked so scary was no longer so scary. And that was just a temporary thing that passed. But like all three of those things that you mentioned, faith and fear and freedom came into play in that moment, because I was suddenly freed from that fear. My circumstances didn't change at all. Only my perspective on the circumstances changed. And the faith part was to like listen to that voice, 
unclench your body, open your eyes and look up. It was an incredible moment. And I don't talk about it very often. People don't always really want to talk about like me listening to God, but it was intense. It was an intense spiritual experience. It gives me the chills just to remember this moment. Like, uh, that's why we went sailing. So I could have that, that moment. It's beautiful. Incredible. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely incredible. Thank you for sharing. Well, we could talk for hours. I have no doubt at all. Just thank you so much for coming on and sharing just like a little bit of your life. And if people want to connect, um, we'll share all your details in the show notes, because absolutely, I just think you've got so much wisdom to share with the world. There is so much it is its wisdom. It's just that innate knowing that you've experienced and you're able to, to share on with people. So thank you very much for sharing that with us today. We are incredibly grateful. I'm grateful for the opportunity to just share a little piece of, of my life and that I love that you are willing to have these deep conversations. I'm, I'm very glad for that opportunity. Well, thanks so glad to. <laughs> well, thank you very, very much. And um, like we said, anyone who wants to connect with you, the details will be in the show notes. And thank you very much for your time. It has been wonderful. Likewise. You've been listening to She Is Wise with Ellie Bell and Erin Hodson. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please remember to subscribe so you can join us next time. And if you haven't already, please consider leaving us a review or sharing this podcast with your friends. Thanks so much for joining us and we will catch you on the next episode.